Hi, this is Puritan's Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Season 2 is A Practical Treatise of Fear by John Flavel. I am now at ease in the midst of my habitation, but the time may be at hand when my habitation shall be in a prison. I see no faces at present but those of friends, full of smiles and honors. I may see none shortly but the faces of enemies, full of frowns and terrors. I have now an estate to supply my wants and provide for my family. But this may shortly fall as a prey to the enemy. They may sweep away all that I have gathered reap the fruits of all my labors. Impious has seketes. I have yet my life given me for a prey, but oh, how soon shall it fall into cruel and bloodthirsty hands. I have no better security for these things than the martyrs had, who suffered the loss of all these things for Christ's sake. A double advantage would result to us from such meditations as these, viz. the advantage, number one, of acquittance with troubles, number two, of preparation for, number one. Hereby, our thoughts would be better acquainted with these evils. And the more they are acquainted with, the less they will start and fright at them. We should not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, as it is, 1 Peter 4.12. It is with our thoughts, as it is with young colts. They start at every new thing they meet, but we cure them of it by bringing them home to that they start at and making them smell to it. Better acquaintance cures this startling humor. The newness of evil, saith a late grave and learned divine, is the cause of fear, when the mind itself hath no preceding encounter with it, whereby to judge of its strength, nor example of another man's prosperous issue to confirm its hopes in the like success. For as I noted before out of the philosopher, experience is instead of armor, and is a kind of fortitude, enabling both to judge and to bear troubles. <clears throat> For there are some things which are, Greek words, scarecrows and visors, which children fear only out of ignorance. As soon as they are known, they cease to be terrible. I know our minds naturally reluctate and decline such harsh and unpleasant subjects. It is hard to bring our thoughts to them in good earnest and harder to dwell so long as is necessary to this end upon them. We had rather take a pleasant prospect of future felicity and prosperity in this world, of multiplying, plying our days as the sand, and at last dying quietly in our nest, as Job speaks. Our thoughts run nimbly upon such pleasant fancies, like oiled wheels, and have need of trigging, but when they come into the deep and dirty ways of suffering, there they drive heavily, 
like Pharaoh's chariots dismounted from their wheels. But that which is most pleasant is not always most useful and necessary. Our Lord was well acquainted with griefs, though our thoughts be such great strangers to them. He often thought and spake of his sufferings and of the bloody baptism with which he was to be baptized, Luke 12.50. And he not only minded his own sufferings beforehand, but when he perceived the fond imaginations and vain fancies of some that followed and professed him, deluding them with expectations of earthly prosperity and rest, he gave their thoughts a turn to this less pleasing but more needful subject, the things they were to suffer for his name. Instead of answering a foolish and groundless question of sitting on his right and left hand like earthly grandees, he rebukes the folly of the questionist and asks a less pleasing question, Matthew twenty twenty two. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I shall be baptized with? Q.D. You do but abuse yourselves with such fond and idle dreams. There is other employment cut out for you in the purposes of God. Instead of sitting upon thrones and tribunals, it would become you to think of being brought before them as prisoners to receive your doom and sentence to die for my sake. These thoughts would do you a great deal more service. Number two, as such meditations would acquaint us better, so they would prepare us better to encounter troubles and difficult things when they come. Readiness and preparation would subdue and banish our fears. We are never much scared with that for which our minds are prepared. There is the same difference in this case as there is betwixt a soldier in complete armor and ready at every point for his enemy and one that is alarmed in his bed, who hath laid his clothes in one place and his arms in another when his enemy is breaking open his chamber door upon him. It was not, therefore, without the most weighty reason that the apostle presses us so earnestly, Ephesians six thirteen and 14. Take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We see the benefit of such provisions and provisions for suffering in that great example of courage and constancy, Acts 21.13. I am ready, saith Paul, not only to be bound, but to die at Jerusalem. And the same courage and constancy remained in him when he was entering the very lists and going to lay his very neck upon the block, 2 Timothy 4.6, I am ready to be offered up. The time of my departure is at hand. The word, Greek word, properly signifies a libation or drink offering, wherein some conceive he alluded to the very kind of his own death, viz. by the sword, 
His heart was brought to that frame that he could, with as much willingness, pour out his blood for Christ as the priests used to pour out drink offerings to the Lord. It is true all the meditations and preparations in the world made by us are not sufficient in themselves to carry us through such difficult services. It is one thing to see death as our fancy limbs it out at a distance, and another thing to look death itself in the face. We can behold the painted lion without fear, but the living lion makes us tremble. But yet, through our suffering strength, comes not from our own preparations or forethoughts of death, but from God's gracious assistance. Yet, usually, that assistance of his is communicated to us in and by the conscientious and humble use of these means. Let us, therefore, be found waiting upon God for strength, patience, and resolutions to suffer as it becomes Christians in the daily serious use of those means whereby he is pleased to communicate to his people. Rule 4. If ever you will subdue your own slavish fears, commit yourselves and all that is yours into the hands of God by faith. This rule is fully confirmed by that scripture, Proverbs 16.3, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The greatest part of our trouble and burden in times of danger arises from the unsettledness and distraction of our own thoughts. And the way to calm and quiet our thoughts is to commit all to God. This rule is to be applied for this end and purpose when we are going to meet death itself and that in all its terrible formalities and most frightful appearances. 1 Peter 4, 19. Let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. And if this committing act of faith be so useful at such a time when the thoughts must be supposed to be in the greatest hurry and fears in their full strength, much more will it establish the heart and calm its passions in lesser troubles. You know what ease and relief it would be to you if you had a trial depending in law for your estates and your hearts were overloaded and distracted with cares and fears about the issue of it. If one whom you know to be very skillful and faithful should say to you at such a time, trouble not yourself any further about this business, never break an hour's sleep more for this matter, be you an unconcerned spectator, commit it to me and trust me with the management of it. I will make it my own concernment and save you harmless. Oh, what a burden. What an heavy load would you feel yourself eased of as soon as you had thus transferred and committed it to such a hand. Then you would be able to eat with pleasure and sleep in quietness. Much more ease and quietness doth your committing the matter of your fears to God give. Even so much more as his power, wisdom, 
and faithfulness is greater than what is to be found in men. But to make this rule practicable and improvable to peace and quietness of heart in an evil day, it will be necessary that you well understand, number one, what the committing act of faith is, number two, what grounds and encouragements believers have for it. Number one, study well the nature of this committing act of faith and what it supposes or implies in it. For all men cannot commit themselves to God. It is his own people only that can do it. Nor is it everything that can commit to God. They cannot commit themselves to his care and protection in any way, but only in his own ways. No more particularly. This concludes part 19 of John Flavel's A Practical Treatise of Fear.